0: Welcome to the Audiobook Speakeasy. I'm Rich Miller, and I'm your host here at the Speakeasy. This is where you'll meet narrators, coaches, engineers, and other audiobook professionals, as well as some listeners who will be sharing what they look for in a good audiobook. If you're interested in audiobook production, you've come to the right place. Tonight's Speakeasy Chat is being brought to you by Squeaky Cheese Productions on the cutting wedge. You can find them on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com. So come on in, grab a drink, pull up a chair, and join us for a friendly chat about audiobooks. My guest tonight is a voice actor and audiobook narrator who I learned of recently because a fan of his mentioned him by name in a Facebook group as one of her favorite narrators. So thanks for the suggestion, Kathleen. He's narrated hundreds of audiobooks and won many audiophile earphones awards, several audies, and a couple of listen-up awards. Oliver Wyman, thanks for joining me in the Speakeasy tonight.
1: Rich, thank you very much. It is my pleasure to be here. It's
0: I'm great. so glad I could find you. You uh, you do have a social media presence, and that's usually <laughs> what I turn to when I'm looking for somebody. So when your name was mentioned, I thought, that's a name that I'm not familiar with. I'm sorry about that, but, you know, you can't know everybody. And, not uh, l- and when you were mentioned as somebody's favorite, I thought, that's always good to hear. Um, and I've, I've spoken with several... Uh, romance narrators who are favorites and, and that's great. But since I wasn't familiar with your name, I thought this is somebody I should look up and I was pretty impressed with what I found. So I'm, uh, I'm glad we could hook up and, and meet for a drink in the speakeasy. Here, here.
1: I, I have to say, I, 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 looked at the list of people you've, uh, you've already had on your podcast and, and it seems I, I might be the last guy in, in audiobooks.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's a, you're, you've got everybody. I was amazed. You got John McElroy up there, you know, you got. Yeah.
0: Everybody. Yeah. John was great. I, I uh, found him sort of, uh, yeah, that was a, that was an interesting thing too. It had to do with signing up for one of the events, uh, for, for, uh, APAC or, um, for the Audiobook book for the audio publishers association. And, um, and I kind of went down a rabbit hole finding information about him. So, uh, so yeah, I, I consider myself very fortunate to have started this podcast and gotten to know so many people who I now consider friends. So this is, uh, it, it's been really great.
1: Here, here. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm very glad to uh, count myself among them.
0: Yeah, cool. Thank you for coming in. So this being a speakeasy, what are you drinking tonight, Oliver?
1: I am enjoying a, uh, whiskey sour. I actually, I, this is my second. I'm. Uh, <laughs> I had one with with bullet bully bullet. I'm not sure if it's a bullet or bull light. Bullet, bullet, yep. bullet bourbon. Bullet and, bourbon. And yep. I've moved on to bullet rye. I hope. Ah, uh, you've got both. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, when, When uh, when Red Dead Redemption two came out, I had to get a couple of bottles of Western whiskey. To, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm a I'm a dork, and just just so you know, I'm I am a total geek when it comes to like comic books and video games. That's my love. Yeah. That is, that's what I do. Well, that's cool. When,
0: that's cool. Bullet, yeah. uh, Bullet's good. Bullet is kind of like my everyday rye. I've got a, got a handle of, of Bullet rye in the cabinet right now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember if I've ever had both bullet rye and bullet bourbon in the house at the same time, but I have (laughs) had both. Um, right now the, the bourbon handle is Elijah Craig, which is one of my, Uh, one of my favorite regular kind of everyday drinking kind of things. Um, but yeah, bullet rye is good, solid rye. I believe it's a 95% rye mash bill. So, uh, so it's pretty, pretty high on the rye.
1: You know, your whiskey beta. I'm impressed.
0: Uh, A little bit. What's your favorite? What's your um,
1: favorite
0: whiskey? What kind? Oh boy, that's a tough one. Uh, you know, I I really kind of go, uh, you know, the big four, of course, bourbon, rye, Irish, and Scotch. Um, I I just get in moods, and I'll I'll yeah. get something, and I'll think this is the best whiskey ever, and yeah. then like you know, a month later, I'll have something else that's completely different, and I'll just yeah. think, oh, what was I thinking? This is the best whiskey ever. So uh, right now, I've um, I'm kind of a little bit on an Irish kick. Uh, my favorite Irish is Rider's Tears. and there you I, go. I just bought a bottle of Teeling, which I started and, and liked. And I also Ooh. got a bottle of uh, Jameson Caskmates, uh, the, IPA, the IPA version. Uh, they finish it in IPA barrels. Uh, wow. What I really want to try, which I, I haven't yet, is the uh, Caskmates Stout version. Um, it's, uh, even, even the IPA, it's, it's definitely kind of chewy. I mean, you, you drink it and it's like, yeah, that's definitely, uh, something, something you don't normally get with an Irish whiskey. Um, Mm. just sort of, I don't know, a little deeper, um, hard to describe. I I really don't have the vocabulary for, uh, for being a whiskey taster, but, uh, but I do like the cask mix. So that's, that's kind of what I'm, I'm going for these days.
1: Yeah, I'm, I I I tend to change my whiskey tastes with the season. Uh, during the winter, I I like the smoky stuff. I like uh I like a lot of Islay.
0: Oh, good. Uh Scotch, yeah. Ardbeg, yeah. yeah. I got a bottle of Ardbeg right now. That's uh, That is Oh, that's yeah. my go-to. I I don't I don't go for the Islay all that often, but every once in a while it is the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it mm-hmm. just uh makes you feel like you're just sitting right next to the fire. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. I do I, enjoy that.
0: I hear you. Well, whiskey sour—that's a—that's a classic. I uh, have not have or a um, yeah whiskey sour. That's what you said, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Haven't had one of those in in a bit, but uh, definitely a classic. That that and an old fashioned.
1: Oh yeah, no, I got into old fashioned when when Mad Men was.
0: It ah, yes. <laughs> was on the air. I, yeah. got, I got big
1: into old fashions.
0: I, I, think, I think you're not the only one. <laughs> 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 well, tonight I am not having whiskey. I am having a drink that is fairly new to me. Um, my wife got me a book recently with some drinks in it, and I saw one in there that I've seen the name of before, but I didn't really know anything about. And so um, it's – it's uh, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, it's uh, it's called a caipirinha. And, oh, uh, yeah. And uh, and when I saw it in this book, I thought, oh, yeah, but it, use, it uses um, cachaça, which I don't have any of, and I don't even really know anything about it. So I thought yeah. I should learn about it. So I did, found a bottle, got it, and uh, decided to mix one up. And I really liked it. Um, some people consider it the, uh, uh, what's the um, rum, lime juice, sugar drink? Kamikaze. Uh, no, not a kamikaze. Sure. A, um, of course, now it's just, you know, completely out of my head. But uh, daiquiri, classic daiquiri. Um, but it's made with cachaça, oh. but it's not quite the same. Um, definitely a different oh, flavor profile.
1: Oh, I've, I've had them there. There, uh, there was a place, uh, in New York city years ago. It's no longer around that, um, was the only, I had never heard of them and mm-hmm. they used to make them there. They would, it's muddled lime and yeah. mint,
0: I think. Yeah. No, no mint. Um, Muddle, muddled, no lime, mint? sugar and, uh, and cachaça.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they were phenomenal, but they, it, it reminded me of a kamikaze because it tastes like lemonade and, you know, yeah. Free of and hammered.
0: yeah, with that much lime, uh, I, I can certainly see why that would happen. Um, mm-hmm. and it is definitely a, uh, a strong drink. My wife tried it and thought, yeah, too much alcohol for me. Um, <laughs> so it, it's definitely booze forward, but, uh, but I've always liked a gimlet and a daiquiri mm-hmm. is basically just a rum gimlet and this is a, exactly. you know, different kind of lime juice drink. So, uh, so I, I definitely like it. Um, uh. The cachaca I, I tried it and then I tasted some rum along with it and it's it's definitely a little different. It kinda makes me think of sort of a a cross between rum and tequila. Is it made from cane? It, that... it's it's made from um from sugar cane juice, whereas okay. rum is typically made not always, but typically made from molasses. Mm, so that's right. Very similar, but definitely a, a different flavor profile. So anyway, whiskey sour. Capeirinha, and I'm sure that if I've got any listeners who speak Portuguese, they'll be happy to correct me. <laughs> but I believe that's the way it's pronounced, uh, as far as I could tell from the uh, from the IPA stuff in in Wikipedia. And uh, and so, thank you, Oliver Ollie, for uh, for coming into the speakeasy. Cheers. It is my pleasure. Chin chin. Ding. Yeah. So uh, so you mentioned New York. I believe that you are still out on the East Coast there somewhere, aren't you?
1: I live in the wilds of. The Catskill Mountains in New York. Oh, State.
0: you're not in the city. You are. No. Uh, you're a little farther out there.
1: I am. I'm about two hours, two and a half hours north of the city. Um, and I, I was born and raised in New York City, despite what it says on my IMDb page.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: somehow, and I don't know how this happened. Somehow, the internet got the idea that I am from Mankato, Minnesota.
0: Oh my. Oh, I, yeah,
1: I've never heard of it, but, um, Interesting. no, I was born and raised on, uh, in New York city on toity fit and Toid. Oh, I right, actually, right I went to elementary school at toity, toied and Toid.
0: All right. Um, so, you know, and, and then why did you move to the Catskills or were there other moves in between?
1: Ah, uh, well, here's a long story. Um, I know I've, I lived in the city for gosh, 42 years almost. Yeah. And, um, so it was about 10 years ago, a little more. Uh, we moved, no, gosh, I was 43, I guess, when we moved. Um, and I moved basically to set up a studio because uh. I was, my wife and I were living in Manhattan paying $3,000 a month to live in a one bedroom apartment and our second child had just come. Yeah. Uh, so we thought, yeah, may-. Oh, plus at the time I was, this was uh the end of the early aughts or the end of the aughts rather mm-hmm. and um audible had just come into existence mm. and i was because they were doing buku books they were just cranking out books uh, in the first couple of years mm-hmm. uh i was traveling to newark i was traveling almost 3 hours a day commuting every day to newark from manhattan and paying that much to live in Manhattan. I was like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. And people I know, uh, Paul Rubin, who is uh, I know you've you've had Paul on your show. Yeah. Um, Paul is the guy who gave me my first my first voiceover jobs, really. My first voiceover jobs and my first audiobooks. Um and Paul had said to me, you really, you need to be, you need to have your own studio because I'm a, I'm a very technically minded person. I, uh, before I was a full-time actor, I was a computer consultant
0: Yeah, and, that's a, uh, that's a I, big help these days.
1: Oh my God. It's absolutely, it was, was, Robert Rodriguez said, uh, if you're technical and creative, you're unstoppable. I'm paraphrasing. Nice. I'm sure. Yeah. But I, 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 I would add motivated as well. Mm. Um,
0: <laughs> well, which, yeah, but 40 years ago, you know, actors, voice actors didn't really need to be technically savvy mm. at all. As long as you knew which side of the mic to talk into, no, that was indeed. pretty much, but, um, exactly. you know, 20 years ago that all started changing, maybe 25 and these days really important.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and as I said, you know, that I, I, I was told I'll get more work, I'll be able to charge more and I'll be more attractive as a narrator so so i went ahead and did it unfortunately the more money hasn't necessarily come <laughs> uh, it, you will, know, all, it all will the publishers go well the publishers go oh so uh, the union rate is 200 blah, 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 whatever it is and uh and we'll pay you that and i go yeah but i am re- engineering and directing and mm-hmm. i'm supplying the studio
0: maybe they you say, could throw uh-huh. me a little
1: something extra for that <laughs> and they go yeah, and?
0: yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: And it's, and I have to say, you know, I, uh, the union has been very good to me, Mm -hmm. but when audible came around, like I said, I've been, I've been a narrator for over 20 years. I've been, um, the first full length audiobook I did was in 1999 and it was, uh, Lance Armstrong's autobiography. Uh It's not about the bike. Yeah. And I actually won an Audi for it, which still, I was like, wait, what? that's I, great I, what that's yeah great. no I, I was like okay I guess I should do this <laughs> this is I guess I'm good at this so
0: yeah um and, and that then, was and t- that was kind of not that wasn't exactly early days of audiobooks I mean they've been around since the I think 50s or 60s but oh, it sh- it, was, it was still sort of the early days in terms of them being popular yes yes absolutely yeah. oh, that's um, um, I, that's, they, that's c- taken off so much in the last that's time. great so you won an audi for the first audiobook that you ever did that's correct
1: and well, I again I was Paul Rubin hired me to do the, to do the book and he called me up about a month or so after it had been released and said, so you've been, you've been nominated. And I'm like, wait, what? Really? Yeah. Seriously. And it was, uh, it was, uh, outstanding, inspirational, spiritual. And I was up against Deepak Chopra, which I thought, well, yeah, and this guy, come on. I'm not going to, oh, really? I won. What?
0: Back in 99. So, I don't, I didn't think yeah. he was around yet at that point.
1: He was. He was. Mm-hmm. So I. I get some Deepak Chopra stories, but
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's well, another thing. Well, that's very cool. So, so let's back up for just a second. So that was the first audiobook that you did, and and you mentioned Paul Rubin with both both voiceover and audiobooks. So yes. was was there any voiceover work before that audiobook? Yes. In
1: fact, uh, in 1994, I believe, uh, I was doing a serial play in the East village called sorted lives. Um, and it was a ridiculous thing, but when it, one of the, uh, cast members asked me if I wanted to audition for an English as a second language, uh, a program, you know, a, 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 a tape that people would learn to speak English from, uh, like you know, a, one of these like things where industrial people go
0: narration kind of thing.
1: Exactly. You know, yeah. you, you say a word, you say a sentence and then the person repeats it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and auditioned for this and it was Paul Rubin and, uh, he hired me and I worked for him. I worked for him fairly regularly for, uh, for many years. Uh, he, he's has, hasn't done ESL in a long time, but, mm-hmm. uh, when, uh, he started doing audiobooks, he started producing audiobooks for Houghton Mifflin in 97, I think. Mm-hmm. And I started doing short stories for him and I loved, I, it was that was, was great. I, I'm an, I, I love to read, although I will say not so much anymore because I read for a living. Yep. Totally understand. <laughs>
0: Everybody who's listening gets that. People ask me, Ed, Oh, well, you know, do you like to read? And I'm like, well, I do. It just yeah. doesn't happen very often anymore. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, not stuff that I'm not, you know, getting paid to read, which isn't always what I would choose. But, um, yeah. but you know, that's the way it goes. Yeah. The good and the bad. But, well, that's great. I, so so you actually have been in voiceover for 25 plus years and uh, in audiobooks for 20. Yep. Wow. That's right. Nice. That's right.
1: And, and I have to say, you know, I, like I said, the union has been very good to me, but round about the time Audible came into existence, I got thrown under the bus oh. with all the inter- narrators because we took, what was it? 65% pay cut. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's interesting. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't heard that. Um, yeah. Good.
1: There are not many people that, that have been doing it that long and that's why, you know, there was a handful of us and the union said, Oh, well, so there's these 20 people who've been making a good living on this. We'll get 200 now who will make not so great living
0: less. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't realize that had happened. Um, yeah, I, I'm not really up on the on the union history stuff. I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of unions in general, <laughs> um, but I'm uh, I'm not really up on <laughs> the history. Um, well, that's that's great that you got an audi for your first first full length audiobook. Um, and then how did it you know progress after that?
1: Uh, that back then, uh, as you pointed out, you know the the industry was really still getting its, uh, getting its steam. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, at that point I, I was doing, I started doing, a, I think maybe four or five books a year tops. Mm-hmm. Um, and back then, to be honest, I would spend a lot of time preparing. I would spend, and it would take us, it would, it, the, the sessions were usually, were usually longer because, Ah, uh, back in those days, they didn't do what they call punch and roll. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Oh yeah. So, so when I would when I did Lance Armstrong's book, for instance, I sat down in a chair and I started reading. And if I messed up, I went back and they edited it later. Got it. Yeah. But now, you you know you read it and you mess up and you got to wait for the engineer to go back and cue it up and and they do the the punch in on the fly. Yep. Um, and that's. A uh, some uh, many narrators actually prefer that. I know Simon Preble. Uh, I've spoken to him about this, and he says he much prefers to hear himself and continue from from his last,
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I so there's total,
1: continuity. I yeah. totally
0: understand that. I also know a couple of people who, uh, even though they understand why punch and roll is an advantage in several ways, Um, they have a, they have a really hard time and, and the more I heard from a couple of people, the more I understood that sometimes it has to do with, um, either a learning disability or a different way that their brain processes information and Mm -hmm. having, having a hard time going back and then staying with it through to where you start again um, okay so uh, so I do understand that there are some things because uh, a lot of people are are big on saying nope it's just better no matter what and um, it I think that for some people it really has to do with how their brain processes information and mm. what has to happen or, or what has happened for the people that I know of in that situation is um, basically finding the right tool because all of the different, um, digital audio workstation software works a little bit differently. And what ended up helping some people that I know is finding a tool where they can do that process, but it does it in a slightly different way. I don't understand all the ins and outs because I don't you know, process things the way their brain does. But um, I do understand that there are different ways of looking at it. And mm-hmm. I also know that there are some... Um, at, there's at least one that I know of, and I think that there are a few big name narrators um who actually prefer open recording and uh Simon Vance is one of them.
1: Yeah. No, I know uh Simon, you know. I, Simon is one of the you know, he's there's there there are the there are the gods of audiobook narration yep. and Simon Vance, George Guidall, yep. uh Barbara Rosenblatt, mm-hmm. you know. These are all people who have been doing this as long as I have,
0: at least. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember Barbara uh, telling me about, uh, basically in the, I think it was the early to mid nineties that she started and, um, mm. and how different things were back then. Yeah. very. But yeah, you, you get to the top rung of the ladder and, um, you kind of have your pick on how you want to do things.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that is, that is one of the nice things. And I have to say, I was uh it was about 10 years ago when i first started going to audible to work that i i learned and i i i one of the things that i find really difficult about being an audiobook narrator um actors are psychic vampires this is this is bear with me this is this is a thing of mine okay um we feed on applause and adulation we sure. you know this is what this is what this is what feeds me anyway so I'm speaking from my own experience but mm-hmm. when you're in a booth and there's no like at best you have an engineer <laughs> mm-hmm. and you have no audience no one feeding you it's it is hard yeah it is difficult it is and and i and i find it um you know, social media is a wonderful thing because Kathleen, for instance, oh, my goodness, the fact that Kathleen reached out to me and said, you know, it means the world to me that people that people appreciate what I do mm-hmm. and I that I that I get to hear from them in social media is essential. I I, I couldn't imagine not having that when I the, I remember the first time I read a user review uh, of an audiobook I'd done on uh, Amazon. hmm. And this was uh, probably twelve years ago. It was the first. Uh, there's a series I do by Tim Dorsey, and I was actually hired by Rick Harris to do this. And Rick, uh, Rick is one of the people who really is. He he's he was integral to the. I mean, he he started the industry. He worked for he he was with Cadman at, at Harper Collins and they did Dylan Thomas and they had Boris Karloff come into the studio and oh, wow. they were, this was, yeah, this was like the beginning of, of audiobooks. And he is somebody, he is a legend in the industry. And the fact that he hired me, uh, to do this series, I've just finished the 15th book, uh, oh, in the Tim Dorsey series. series. Yeah. It's, there's actually, there were, I think seven or eight more before I started, uh, and it is my favorite thing to do. It is absolutely, without question, my very favorite thing to do. Um, I've completely lost my track.
0: No, <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that we were just talking about, um, you know, having having the feedback and how difficult it can be yes. when you're yes. locked up in a booth with sure. either nobody or maybe one other person. And I have yes. certainly found myself in that position as well. It's like, I don't know. Is this shit? Is this good? I yeah. I don't know. and And that's why, you know, many people online will give the great advice. you need to have a coach. and um even even with that feedback, that occasional feedback, you still wonder sometimes,
1: and that's as that's what I was saying that the, the first time I read a user review uh, was on Amazon. and <laughs> this is a series. I started doing nonfiction books. I started doing uh, Lance Armstrong and, Thomas Friedman and, uh, books about computers and nonfiction. That was, that was my thing. Mm-hmm. And so it was fairly dry. I started doing this this stuff that's totally character driven and I put character voices into it. The first user review I read on Amazon was a guy that said, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I pulled over and took the CD out of the player and smashed it on the side of the road. And I, and I thought, okay, okay. maybe. I sh- Thank you. Now it turns out that I have, I have a following for this series now. And, and not long after I, I read that review, I was contacted by a guy who's now become a, a friend, at least an internet friend, um, who, who was a huge fan of those books. And I, and I've since learned that there are at least hundreds of people, if not more, I, I couldn't say how many, um, that, that look forward to me doing these books every year. And I, and it is, it is the greatest joy I have as a narrator. Ever, there are a couple of characters, Serge and Coleman. And the way I would describe these books is if you can imagine Fear and loathing in Las Vegas meets in cold blood Yikes. with Looney Tunes thrown in liberally. <laughs> that's what that's what Serge and Coleman are. Coleman is this guy who's constantly high or drunk or both or tripping or whatever. He's never he never stops abusing any substance. And his best friend, Serge, is a manic caffeine addicted chugging from a thermos full of coffee all day long maniac who loves Florida more than anything in the world and knows everything about it.
0: does sound an awful be tr- lot like Hunter S. Thompson. It's, it really is. I mean, it's,
1: <laughs> it's like, it's like Hunter Thompson meets Carl Hiaasen. It's, you know, it's, it's this crazy Florida. I love them both. That's great. And there's, but uh, meanwhile, Surge is, the most amazing savant you've ever heard of, it and and the the thing that that attracted me originally, um, the two characters are so different because Coleman is this guy that's basically high all the time and talks like this, and Serge is completely out of his mind. He's on caffeine. He's like, when I would, when I do Serge, I I literally drink like sixteen venti coffees to to get into that frame of mind.
0: So and, you do get into character, don't you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No yeah. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Although I, I don't do bong hits to be <laughs> uh,
0: But No, I, I can imagine that that would slow the narration down a bit too much. Yeah. So you mentioned reviews. So w- since you did read one, clearly you have read reviews in the past. What's your take on reviews at this point? I, I kind of want ask to ask this more of my guests um, these days because I, I keep seeing things online back and forth about reading or not reading reviews. And, and earlier today, I think it was, I saw somebody post that they never, ever, ever read reviews and I'm just the opposite. I always want to see what, what people have to say, but, but I get why people don't. So where do you come down on it? Well,
1: I will say this, my brother, I, of, of the Wyman's, I am the least successful actor of, of the Wyman brothers. (laughs) Um, my, my brother, Nick is, is a very successful actor and never reads reviews. He does film Broadway. He's, he's a well-known big actor in every sense of the word. Mm -hmm. Um, he won't read a single, and I'm I it, by I want to strangle him. I'm like, what? I, how? What? What's wrong with you? How could you not? <laughs> Jesus! Crying out loud! They, they, they're talking about you. Pay attention. But um, I I at least once a week go to Audible to check out the you know the reviews on the and some and there are some books that uh, there's a book that I did in 2016 called A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. It is. The most brilliant book I have ever read, never mind narrated, and it is so brilliantly written. So incra- it, it was. Um, it didn't win, but it was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize that year, mm. and uh, it is just one of the most extraordinary pieces of fiction anyone will ever read. It's seven hundred fifty pages long, Ooh, long thirty-two hour book, and it's most. I mean it took me three weeks prob mostly because I had to just stop every now and then because I was weeping.
0: Um, Uh, it's the
1: saddest book you'll ever read. And, and I, and I still to this, and it's one of the more, one of the most popular books I've, of, of all the books I've narrated. If you go to, if you look, look up my books on audible, it'll come up first or second or third in relevance because it's the, it's one of the best selling books that I've done. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I check the reviews for that regularly and it and it means so much to me to see that people have appreciated that it's it was it was it's an astonishing piece of work and and I put my all into it it was 3 weeks of me sobbing in the booth um and and it means so and people contact me on twitter regularly saying, I listened to this and thank you so much. And I'm, I'm so grateful for people reaching out to me because it's, again, it's like, I, I need that. I need, I need adulation. I need applause. I need someone to say, you know what? That was good. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm so jealous of my brother who gets up on stage on Broadway and, you know, everyone stands up and applauds for him. And I'm like, man, I wish I could be him. (laughs) I, 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 you know, so yeah, I, I read those reviews regularly at least once a week. I'll go to audible and I'll search by, uh, first, uh, you know, I'll, I'll look up my name and it, and it, and it shows me the, the best selling books, mm-hmm. which right. is they're, what they consider relevant. And then, um, and then I'll check by, uh, uh, by new arrivals and, and there was a review, there was a review of uh the last Tim Dorsey book I did that I want to have printed on a t-shirt. <laughs> it was a guy said that basically he said that I was I was the mel Blanc of audiobooks. Oh and nice. To, to me like in 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 my in my basement there's a there's a poster of all of the looney tunes characters standing with their heads bowed and there's a a microphone with no one an empty microphone uh, no one behind it in a spotlight and it says speechless and that's I saw that in the 80s after he had passed and I yeah. and I was like that's because he's you know I uh, 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 do, you ever, do you ever see the show uh, dream on Brian Ben Ben you remember that HBO
0: no. oh no. it was a brilliant show I, I remember the brilliant. title
1: great show the whole premise was it was this guy going through his life and you would see the things that he saw inside his head the thoughts that came up inside his head and the things that the you know uh, that he was reminded of as he was going through the exp- everyday experiences of his life, and it was all Looney Tunes and Three mm-hmm. Stooges, and I'm like, <laughs> "That's me. Yeah. That is who I am."
0: I, yeah, Mel, uh, for, Mel Blank was certainly a a god of the uh, of the animation age.
1: Oh my, it just you know, uh, so and he informed so much of of our culture, really. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Bugs Bunny was ubiquitous. When I was a kid, everybody, everybody knew Bugs Bunny. And, and to, uh, (laughs) there's a, in in just about every studio I've worked in, in, in the city, they're all tired of me. Whenever I would leave the studio, whenever, whenever I would finish the session, I would always say, well, goodbye. And don't think it hasn't been a little slice of heaven because it hasn't. And, and everyone's just like, you know, Ollie, shut up.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, but, like, there's, what's
0: but, that? but clearly that's, you know, something that you uh that you love about voice acting. Is oh, yeah. is doing the characters, is doing the doing the voices. So yeah so clearly, I mean, having narrated hundreds of audiobooks, I mean, I know you've been at it for 20 years, but that's still, you know, a substantial number. Um, but you're still doing other voiceover work. Yes. So um, how, do, how does it fit in? What, what kind of a um, – how does it break down in terms of the amount of work that you do? How much is audiobooks? How much is animation? Do you do anything else? Do you do promos or um, any other specific types of voiceover genres?
1: Well, at the moment, unfortunately, I am uh, agentless. Uh, so I have not been doing much outside of audiobooks. The problem was I had an agent for many, many years. In fact, just – fired him last year. But uh they could they'd never I've never gotten a single audiobook from an agent.
0: No, and my understanding is that it's very, very rare. Yeah, yeah.
1: And they're really, I mean, the people that I know in New York City who are agents that's that are specialists in audiobooks, they don't get I've spoken to people who are with them and they're like, yeah, they don't get me audiobooks. They, you know, they they every now and then, but I get audiobooks, you know, people, everybody I know who's a narrator knows it's, it's such a small industry still mm-hmm. that it, it's really just, you know, oh, is Ollie available? Okay, we'll get Ollie, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, they, they know, they know what a publisher or a producer will get something and they'll go, oh, this is, this is for Ollie, you know? Yeah. Uh, like Paul Rubin years ago got a book, uh, about the Simpsons and, In the, the, the book was just half of it was excerpts from the Simpsons and they obviously couldn't, you know, afford to hire the people to do the voices or even take the clips from the show. So I had to impersonate every single cast member of the Simpsons.
0: And And, you you loved it, didn't you? I loved every minute.
1: (laughs) Now, you know, my, my Lisa and my Bart, not so great, but, um, you know, my chief Wiggum, I, I will take all comers, but, uh, Oh, uh, no, you got the wrong number. This is a nine one two. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 cartoons, I live for cartoons. I wish uh, if you could see my, my basement, which is my, uh, the lair for my son and I where we play video games and computer games, there's justice league posters and cap shield on the wall and Thor's hammer Mjolnir where, you know, I am I'm a full-on dork. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: but I, I, I video games and cartoons. That is the reason why and, and I've I've said before that I think comic books really led me to, to this because when I read a comic book, I heard the words in my head. I I, I heard the sounds, the sound effects. Mm-hmm. Boom, boom, rah, you know, all of that stuff. That that just that that, that I when I read a book. I am I am giving you what I what I hear when when I read a book when what I hear in my head is uh, I'm doing as as best I can to approximate what's what I hear in my head for for the listener so um, that's that's how I hear books. That's,
0: that's cool. Just how I. That's cool. So uh, so you fired your agent uh, about a year ago, <laughs> and so you're kind of focusing on audiobooks, but clearly you still love the other stuff. So what's your plan going forward in terms of mm. other voiceover work?
1: There's, you know, there's a fair amount of work uh, that I don't get through an agent uh, that isn't audiobooks, like uh, anime, uh. Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. Uh, I've I've played fairly major characters in in those shows and have um, fans and followers on on social media just just for that. Cool. Uh, in fact, Konami, who, who owns uh, the property Yu-Gi-Oh. They, uh, they invited me to, excuse me, to come to Japan for the Yu-Gi-Oh trading card game championships where I was a, I guess, a, a color announcer. I don't know how these things
0: work. I'm nice. a sports guy. And, but and yes. were there people there who were listening to you and thinking, I know that voice.
1: Oh, it, well, it was, it was, uh, it was interesting because it's, it's like a sporting event. So they had a couple of guys there who knew the game intimately and they could tell you everything about what was the strategies and what was going on and what cards these people were playing. And I was there doing the voices.
0: You know?
1: oh, I was like, Oh, that character, I know him. He talks like this, you know? Um, That's great. <laughs> and, 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 and the great thing is doing um, cartoons, uh, all of the, most of the people that I work with love cartoons what they do. They, they, you know, they're um there's a, a, f- a fellow audiobook narrator who is one of the most talented and one of the nicest people you'll ever meet, Mark Thompson. He does a lot of the Star Wars audiobooks. Uh, he is he is just he's he's a savant. And he's not which is not to imply that he's an idiot, but he, no, he is yeah. so extraordinarily talented. Uh I I you know and and um He's, he's just magnificent. He's been doing this for years and he loves it. He loves uh, like me. He loves comic books. He loves video games. We, we went to see, uh, the, the star, uh, Star Trek reboot, the JJ J. Abrams first, uh, for Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he was wearing his Captain Kirk shirt and I was like, oh man, I couldn't get home to wear mine. <laughs> That's, you know, so I, I, I am, I love, I, I got to do a book last year. I got to do, um a book about Loki, uh, Thor's stepbrother, if you're mm. familiar with Marvel comics. And, uh, and that was just such a wonderful treat for me because this is, this, this is what I, you know, it, when I'm not recording, I'm reading comic books or playing video games or, you know, uh, exploring some mythology with my children. Uh, that's, that's my love.
0: That's so. cool. So, so you definitely plan to keep a hand in one way or another.
1: Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, like so. So the point was that I'm I'm still doing Pokemon. Um, I have a couple of characters that are recurring in that, and um, that's my thing. I love that stuff. But I think it's yeah, it's. I'm afraid I'm going to have to go down to the city and uh, get myself another agent.
0: Well, you know, from what little I know of that edge of that side of the voiceover business, uh, it certainly does seem to me that the better jobs, uh, in terms of animation are going to be coming through agents. Um, oh yeah. So
1: Although it, re- remarkably, I mean well, it's that you know, the the industry is is trying very very hard to spend as little money as possible. Oh yeah. So <laughs> you know, they're uh on you know, I I get so many things that they're like, "Oh, it's a buyout." Mm, yeah, yeah, no, it's a buyout. What do you really yeah. really it's a Netflix buyout. Thank you. Because, you know, somebody's making money on this, but not me.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. The the industry certainly has uh, gone through a lot of changes in the past 10, 10 or 20 years. Um, oh, yeah. But, but so for right now, you're. Uh, it sounds like you're primarily focused on audiobooks. So uh, do you have... I mean, clearly you've done a lot of different things. You've done nonfiction, the character stuff. I saw in the titles that you've done a lot of young adult. Um, so do you, do you feel like you have a specialty or do you just like doing all of it and you'll do whatever comes your way?
1: I'm an arrogant bastard. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I consider myself the best there is at what I do. And that's to, to quote Wolverine. Um, <laughs> I, I, and, and I, I, say that because I do do everything. I've won, a have won awards for nonfiction. I've won awards for, fi- I've been nominated for humor, science fiction, fantasy. You know, I, I, there, I haven't met the genre that, that, uh, that can best me yet, but, mm-hmm. uh, I, 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 love science fiction and fantasy, which are huge. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think second only to romance. I've, I've done some romance, uh, which, um, is pretty much softcore porn, but you know, (laughs) what are you gonna do? I don't I don't mind. Uh hey, I'll talk about things. I'll talk about, you know
0: body uh, parts, yeah. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) 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 Yeah, no, that that's cool. So it sounds like you'll uh you've you've done and and will do pretty much anything in the world of audiobooks.
1: Yeah. I mean actually the, the next book I'm doing is an a biography of Yogi Berra. Which I'm really now, see, excited.
0: Being a, being a cartoon guy like you are, I thought you were going to say a biography of Yogi <laughs> Bear. <laughs> now that would that would be great. That would be something I could do. But no, this is I'm I am
1: actually, and as as I tell people all the time, I do not sport. I I once <laughs> it, back in the '90s I got into basketball because the Knicks were amazing, but uh, since then I uh, sports just mm, doesn't. Nah, I like music and comic books, but.
0: So, uh, so
1: what do you do when you're not narrating? What do I do when I'm not narrating? Well, um, I have two kids. I have a a nine-year-old son and a 12-year-old daughter.
0: Uh, that's gotta take some time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed.
1: Uh, and I, I have a wife who's very ambitious about, uh, our children's, um, athletic, endeavors, uh, which, you know, as, as you might imagine, I am not quite so much, um,
0: but my son and I got both sides of the coin then.
1: Yes. That that's, I I look at, that's the way I look at it. But, um, my son and I love video games, computer games. Uh, I have recently started playing world of Warcraft classic with my son. Uh, and it is, it is, it is the Well, among the greatest joys in my life. That's cool. Um, And uh, my daughter, who is 12, a swimmer, uh, she plays field hockey. She is just beginning to be a teenager. So, you know, her life is torture.
0: Um, <laughs> Which means that but, the lives of those around her are torture as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah. I have, you know, a preteen and I'm, I'm just, you know, bracing myself for the next six or seven years. But, <laughs> no uh, a lot to get through. But I, yeah, like I said, I, I, um, I, I do love gaming in, in all forms. And these days, Uh, When I'm not gaming with my son because he's only nine and isn't really ready for this, uh, I play a lot of virtual reality. Uh My studio doubles as a VR lab, and I am hoping one of these days when I get enough time to start doing things other than work and parenting, um, I really want to start streaming uh, my virtual reality experiences on Twitch or just recording it and putting it on YouTube. Cool. Uh, so that is, that is my, that is my plan for the In fact, I'm, I'm in the middle of trying to get things set up so I can do that now, trying to get a green screen and all of that going. Uh, but yeah, I, escapism is my love. Um, I, I, although I have not read the escapist yet,
0: so. Totally understand. <laughs> I, uh, I recently started rereading for the, umpteenth time the uh, harry potter books because i just felt like i just really need to get away and i've got other books that i need to be reading for work but i can spend an hour in the evening late at night reading this book that i love because i just love getting into that world it's i get that so completely different so i'm i'm a big fan of escapism as long as it's you know, part of an otherwise healthy psyche, <laughs> yes. as, as long as you don't try to escape everything all the time. Uh, I think that actually escaping somehow, whether it's virtually or, uh, on a vacation just to, you know, completely unplug and get away. I, I, I think it's, uh, it's good.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, that's cool. Uh, so, so all you've been doing this for, you know, 20 years, 20 plus now at this point, now that we're in 2020. So I'm sure that you've seen a lot of changes in the industry and, and yet you're still going strong. So you've, you've weathered those changes. Uh, what, what words of wisdom might you have for aspiring narrators out there? Oh, that's a good
1: question. Um, you know, I, years ago I was, I was asked to be on a panel, uh, with a number with, I was on a panel with And this, this was one of those, I was like, oh, I guess I've arrived. I was on a panel with Barbara Rosenblatt, Scott Brick.
0: Gosh, who else was there? Heavy hitters. Definitely.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, and I was like, great. I, you know, talk about imposter syndrome. I'm Mm, like, uh, I really, (laughs) and, and, and the thing, the thing that I had to offer, uh, because it was, it was the, 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 uh, the premise was giving advice to, to upcoming narrators. I, I, the thing that that I found most helpful for me, uh, is let the sentence go, <laughs> let it go because there are thousands of them and you will find, and I I've done, you know, early on, I, I, I would find myself go, Oh no, I read that. Oh, let me do that again. Let me go back and do that again. Cause I didn't quite, I didn't quite hit the You know what? let it go. <laughs> there are, there are some, and, 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 and I, I, I do coaching and, uh, and teaching these days. And, and one of the things that I often tell people is your book, a book is a script and it has the way that, that words are written, uh, as paragraphs, the way that the sentences and paragraphs are stage directions. You know, they, they are there, there should be an arc to a paragraph there should be an arc to a chapter chapter should end on a closing note. But all of that said, don't get crazy. You know, if, if there's, uh, here's, here's what I, uh, one thing that I tell people when you see a sentence that is its own paragraph, I call that an orphaned sentence.
0: Um, it's a very popular writing style that I've It ever, is extremely really you know abused. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I agree. It is,
1: it is abused. And, and and honestly, I'm I'm happy to let authors abuse it because it means I get to take longer to say the words. <laughs> and that's and that's you know, when when you know they say, Oh, we get paid by the finished hour. I'm like, okay, good. I'm <laughs> gonna do this very slowly then. Yeah. And Uh, so, so when you get, when you get, when you get an orphan sentence, when you get a sentence that stands alone, that's, that is, that's drama. They're at, they're like, you need to billboard that sentence. You don't need to shout it, but you need to give it some space. You need to put some space before and after, and you need to go. And, you know, usually it's the kind of thing that's pretty heavy. You know, you get tight on the microphone and you do one of these. Mm -hmm. So then it's. That, like I said, it's a stage direction. When somebody leaves a sentence alone, and that's its own paragraph, that's like. Pfft. And as you said, I, I'm doing a book right now, and I swear to God, every page has three or four of them. <laughs> and and so so I'm like, okay, great, I'm doing the book like this. <laughs> Everything and so you know and and I get I, I look at user reviews on Audible and they're like, yeah, the book is all right, but the guy sounds like one of those. Frickin promo guys from the movies <laughs> and that's I'm sorry that's that's what that's what the author asked for
0: yeah
1: that's what they said um but it's it, like I said it's it's a uh, 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 we are musicians we are musicians and and the the thing is because there is so because Our instrument is so personal and so subjective when listeners hear so often you'll, you'll, you'll hear somebody, you'll read a review and people are like, I just couldn't take the narrator. And it's not a question of a good or bad narrator. It's just a question of music. Somebody, there are people out there that don't like the music of my voice. There is a pattern to my speech. There is music to everyone's there's, there's timbre. But, you know, there are people out there that just go, oh, I can't I can't take that person's voice. That's their thing.
0: Yeah. And there are plenty of other reviewers who loved it. I I see this all the time when I look not just at my reviews, but at reviews of everybody. You know, the the book that you mentioned earlier, A Little Life, that's it's got like 11000 ratings and it's got, you know, bazillions of reviews. And um, I didn't see any negative ones there, but I certainly have seen one-star oh, reviews they. of of big-name narrators, and and yet the overall performance rating, uh, the the overall performance rating average is like four point eight, right? And and so sometimes you just can't speak to someone, and I yeah. I, I love that that um, I I haven't heard that before. I I love that way of looking at it. We're musicians. And absolutely, there are people who don't like certain styles of music that other people will only listen to that style of music so exactly. uh, so i I love that that's a that's a great analogy there
1: and and I think you know truthfully, as musicians, we are also do residuals as well but that's a whole other
0: <laughs> whole, um, whole other program <laughs> yeah that's a
1: whole other thing but i i i it's it's really it's you know being an audiobook narrator is. It's, there's a responsible there's not to be Spider-Man about it with great power comes great responsibility, but, <laughs> uh, there is a responsibility there because as, as I tell people that I coach, you're the voice in someone's head because most people are listening in their car or with headphones in it's an intimate thing. It's mm-hmm. not, it's, you know, it's not like a film or a play. It's, you are right there. You are in their head. So you got to be careful about how you, you know, you got to be careful about how stuff comes out. Yeah. I I I I I will tell you so I I don't listen to audiobooks. I I can I I A I don't have the time and B I just there are very few people who I would want to listen to for hours on end mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest. I you know, uh Stephen Fry is one of those people. Mm. He is one of the people that I consider one of the greatest voices in in the, he was, he was uh, the voice of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. He was the narrator in the film.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: So that if, if anything else that, that, that should tell you, how well, uh, his voice is appreciated. Oh yeah. I, I, I love
0: Stephen Fry. I, oh, he's I, I think he's phenomenal. And, and just listening to him do, do anything. I, I, I go back to your music analogy. It's just, um, it's, it just flows to me no matter, no matter what he's talking about. It just, it just flows in a way that, that exactly. makes perfect sense to me.
1: Again, I, I love, I love reading. I love escapism. And when I get a good book, a good science fiction book or a good fantasy book or even any, any, any good book, I am, I am delighted. I, I just get completely captivated and it, and it consumes my world. George Goodall wrote a piece for, uh, for audiophile years ago about how when you record a book, it becomes your whole world and it, it it's really true. He talked about when he was recording crime and punishment mm. and he said he would do these seven hour sessions and he just he sitting in a little tiny darkened box <laughs> reading this text. And he said, it was just the most depressing, the most awful. <laughs> and I thought, and, and, and I, I, you know, I get that it, it becomes, it becomes, it consumes your world. It becomes your whole world. And I, uh I revel in that. And and the thing is I, you know, more often than not, I'm doing books that make me not so happy. But, yeah. but I when when I regardless, I've I, I, I've is boy, there are some books I've done that just I just been like I would just get out of the booth and I'd go into my house and go, God, take this goddamn
0: book. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> my wife is like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'd have to rant at her for 10 minutes. And then I would get to the end of the book and one of the characters, one of the like painfully two dimensional characters would die and I would weep. I would be (laughs) weeping in the booth over somebody who didn't even have a viable character. Their death moved me. And this is, this is why I can't like, I can't go see Marvel movies in the movie theater with my kids because there isn't a single mar- I'm like I said, big superhero fan. There isn't a single Marvel superhero movie that doesn't make me cry at least <laughs> once. And I am I'm, I'm a big baby. I this is Yeah, no,
0: I, I hear you. I'm I'm doing a book right now that is not in a genre that I had ever read before I started doing this work. It's not What's in it? a genre that I would choose to read on my own free time. It is well-written, and I'm very happy about that. You know, we always love doing books that are well-written, even if they're not something we would normally choose. But by the end of the book, I was sucked in. I was like, I care about these characters, and this thing happened. I was like, oh, no. Hey, do tell. What is this? Oh, no. What is it? What kind of... Or at least it's, the genre. It's paranormal romance. Oh, paranormal. Oh, people, fucking ghosts. Okay. Yeah. Well, eh, kind of, (laughs) this this one's angels and demons, but, um, so it's not something that I even knew was a thing until I was doing this kind of work. And there are people who love this shit and and that's great. I I think that's fine. You know, everybody's got different tastes now that I'm doing it. It's like, okay, well, I kind of see this still. It's not really my cup of tea exactly, but I'm reading this book and I'm going, holy shit. I care about these characters now. I care about what's going on, and something hap- something bad happens to somebody. who's like I don't want that to happen. That's that's not good, you know. And I like I get all worked that's up a over gift, it. Gift, <laughs> man, because
1: that's I I did a book um, a few years ago. Uh, the guy who wrote the Silver Linings Playbook.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, great movie.
1: It was the the next book he wrote. Wonderful book, and it it was first person, and there was a uh, I was working with Scott Sherrod, who is if if you will allow, she is the Batman of audiobook producers. I'll tell you a story about <laughs> that minute, but he, I was doing this book with him and, and for what, you know, bless Scott Sherritt. He, uh, it wasn't a punch and roll. He just let me go. Uh, and I was in a studio in the city and, it, and, and it's this book in first person and it just broke me. And I started to cry as I was reading it. And I looked at him as I was, I was kept talking and I looked over, I looked at the the, you know, the, out of the booth at him in the control room. And he looked at me and he was just like, you know, rolling his hand, like, keep going, keep going, mm-hmm. keep going, yeah. keep going. It, Cause it's a gift when you get something that makes you cry, when you get something that evokes actual genuine emotion from you. Oh my God, that's the bet. Like that's audio material. That's, yeah, it'll, you know, it'll come that's why we do what we do. yeah But so, so that was, that was just amazing. Scott Sharon. I love this guy. I love this guy so much. He's one of my favorite people in the whole industry. He is a producer. He started as an engineer years ago. I knew him working in a studio and he was pushing faders for me. And I, I call all engineers fader monkeys. <laughs> they're, they're my favorite people. So, so I'm working with Scott uh, and he tells me this story about how a producer, one of the publisher producers calls him up and says on a Friday and says, hey, what are you doing this weekend? What are you doing next week? And he says, "I' I'm working for you, I guess." She says, "Can you leave for South Africa on Sunday to go record Nelson Mandela?"
0: And wow. he's like, uh, "Yeah, yeah, really, okay,
1: <laughs> sure." So he leaves on Sunday to fly to Botswana to go record Nelson Mandela. And he gets to South Africa, and they're like, and he's like, "Okay." He meets his liaison. He's like, uh, "Okay, where's where's the studio?" And they're like, yeah, no, that's that's the thing. There, there isn't one. I was like, what, Yikes. you haven't booked one? No, no, there isn't actually a recording studio that's able to record audiobooks in South
0: Africa. <laughs> wow. Wait,
1: what? So he went, so he's like, all right. So he got carpenters and he ordered the, the equipment and in a space of a week – built a recording studio to record Nelson Mandela in, in South Africa. Damn. He told me that story. And, and I had a, like a Kramer moment. If you remember this from Seinfeld where I just pointed to him and I said, you're Batman.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's... I mean,
1: that, that is, that is the most amazing thing in the world. You went to another country and you're like, yeah, I'm going to build a recording studio and record Nelson Mandela. And then I will win an Audi for it and a Grammy. That's, that's what I do.
0: That's, that's pretty amazing. That, that's somebody who's dedicated, who, who understands what needs to be done. So yeah. you mentioned, you mentioned coaching. So, um, tell me real, real quickly, um, a little bit about your coaching practice. Is it just one-on-one? Do you do workshops? Um, is, is it more of a structured course or is it all, you know, individualized to each specific person? What do you do?
1: Uh, I do work with people individually on Skype. Um, cause I, I don't travel. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. I'm
1: like a hothouse flower. But I, I have done, I have done group, uh, group classes. Um, I structured, that's not a, that that's not a word that you would generally apply to me. That doesn't uh,
0: surprise me for some reason.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. I don't, uh, I don't work well in structure, but, uh, I, I, uh, I have been coaching for, for a while now for, three years. And, uh, it's, uh, I'm always, I'm always amazed at how much I'm able to impart to people. I, I I really, uh, you know, for, for me, it's, I feel it's instinctive. I feel it's largely instinctive, but there are a number of little tricks and tips that I've learned over the years that have made, and then make me realize, maybe, maybe it's not just instinct. Maybe it's not just, you know, I'm a good reader. Maybe there are things that I have learned over the years and, and clearly there are, um, I am I'm, I'm not very organized. I'm incredibly impulsive. And I think that's one of the reasons why I'm a good audiobook narrator, because I, I don't, I, I like, for instance, I have a, a friend who's a magnificent narrator, Jeff Woodman, one of the best. Like he's somebody who I would, I'd listen to him for eight hours. Absolutely. He's great. And he goes over a script meticulously and he accents syllables. He writes down, he, he, his notation is so precise that when he records, he just turns off his brain and reads the musical notation that he's written in it, uh, on the script.
0: And let me guess, Ollie, you're going to say you do none of that.
1: I don't read books before I narrate. <laughs> oh. There we go. I was hoping I'd get an intake of breath there. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I, I know my wife is going, "Oh God, I wish she hadn't told people that. Um, but yeah, no, I don't. I stopped. Um, gosh, when was it? I was uh, well, I, I, I started doing a series in 2008. And each book was 700 pages and there was no, I'm a slow reader. I couldn't possibly read, read the whole book before I, so I would read the, you know, 60 or 70 pages I was going to do beforehand. Um, and this was, this was back before PDFs. This was when I was working with, you know, printed scripts. Um, and I, I was able to get through I was, I was amazed that I was able to get through that without actually having read the entire book. And now I have a number of tricks. Like I said, tips and tricks that I use to prepare for a script. I, I always get digital script, needless to say. Yeah. Uh, so I'm able to search for accent, timbre, voice, you know, all of these words that might indicate what a person might sound like. It was, it wasn't until, I mean, there was one book I did, um, Gosh, it was 2007, wasn't it? Yeah, the year my daughter was born. I did a book called Winter's Tale. Um, I'm sorry, not Winter's Tale. A Winter's Tale. Wait a minute, which one is the Shakespeare? Winter's Tale is Shakespeare. <laughs> a Winter's Tale by Mark Halpern. It was a 750-page book. Somehow that, that that number comes up a lot for me. <laughs> um, and uh, And... I had two weeks to prepare. I can't read 750 pages in two weeks. That's sorry. I don't, you know, even something I would love to read. And this was, you know, uh, turn of the century in New York. It was, ba- it was, it seemed like gangs of New York, like gangs of New York had borrowed a lot from this book. It was mm. all about the, the, the five corners, uh, section of New York where the Irish gangs lived and it was violent and brutal. And I, did what I could I I had two weeks I, was, I knew I couldn't read the book I watched the movie Gangs of New York for inspiration for characters I I poured through the book looking for dialogue and then what I would do is I would see I would look at the you know the quotation look for quotation marks and find dialogue and and see how if they described the way the person was speaking mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I found, oh, this guy's got a gravelly voice. Okay, this guy, okay. And, and I was able to do that. Halfway, about halfway through the book, there's 20, 30 pages of narrative. And someone describes the main character who's an Irishman as having the deepest voice he'd ever heard. <laughs> and, I, and I was working with Robin Miles, wonderful narrator and director. And I, and like I said, I had, I had prepared as best I could without having actually read the book. And I got to page 450 or something and I read the words where they said, and he had the deepest Irish accent I'd ever heard. And I looked up at Robin and I went, oh my God, no. Because, you know, I, I did my Irish accent like this, you know, all Irish people sound like the leprechaun from Lucky Charms, that's <laughs> how they sound. So, you know, that's how I sound. Oh my God, but it was fine. We went back, it turns out that there was an event that changed his voice in our minds. Anyway.
0: <laughs> All so right.
1: We, we said, Oh yeah, he traveled through time and his voice got deeper. No one said boo. Um, wow. they made a movie out of it with, uh, Colin Farrell, I think. Yeah. Never saw <clears throat> it. But, um, to be honest, when, when, when the union came and said, Oh yeah, by the way, remember how you used to make this much money? We're now going to give you a third of that. I went, Oh, okay. So I, I'm going to be doing a third of the work. <laughs> essentially. I, I and and when I realized that I that I could, you know, i it's been over ten years since I've read a book before I've recorded it. Um and this is possibly the first time I've admitted that publicly, but
0: uh Okay. I don't You I don't heard really it care. here first, folks. There you go. That's right. <laughs> um well, Ollie, um, that's, that's very cool. Thank, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, where can people find you if they want to look you up to be a, a fan uh, and stalk you on social media or, <laughs> uh, or, you know, find out more about your coaching or, uh, where, where can people look you up online?
1: Well, on, on Twitter and, uh, in most places you can find me at Mr. Coffee spelled M R K A W F Y. Uh, I, I used to be C O F F E E. Uh, Microsoft called me up after I had si- I'd been on Xbox Live for a couple of years, and they're like, oh, "We're sorry, but that name has been taken already. Can you change your name, please?" And I said, "Wow, K A W F Y. Not going to lose my, I'm not going to lose my name here." So sure, yeah. yeah,
0: all right. Uh, so so people can thinking. find you on Twitter. Uh, you have a website?
1: Um, yeah. See, no, I'm I'm not good at the business end of things. I am. You can find me on uh, on Facebook at Ali uh, Wyman. I'm always. I'm always amazed when people pay attention to me. I'm always like, really?
0: Really?
1: <laughs> All right. You know, I'll do this. Yeah. I'm just a guy sitting in a booth talking to myself. So whatever. <laughs> well,
0: but that's great. Thank you I, very much. I do appreciate you coming in. I hope the uh, whiskey sour was good. I can tell you for a fact that the, uh, oh, geez, now I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, Ca- caipirinha. caipirinha. Yeah. That, that, uh, it was quite good. I'm, I'm, it oh, might yeah. not be my favorite drink, but I will definitely have another one of those.
1: Oh no, yeah, I I love tropical drinks. Yeah, me too. You you know, and and where you live, that's the place to have them, obviously. (laughs) But if you ever find yourself in the northeast, come visit, come to the city, I'll come down, take you out for a
0: drink or twelve. I will do that. We'll do this. All right. Thanks, Ollie.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Good to meet you, Rich. You
0: too. Well, that's it for tonight. Many thanks to Ollie Wyman for stopping by for a drink. I loved hearing about his audiobook experiences and his cartoon nerdiness, and I hope you did too. I do want to add one thing to the conversation. When we were done, I asked Ollie about whether or not he really wanted me to include his comments about not pre-reading the books that he's narrating, since it's counter to what is almost universally recommended, and he told me that he was fine with it. But he added two points that I think are very important. When he discusses this with narrators he's coaching, he tells them that's what he does, but he doesn't recommend that they do it. In addition to that, he makes it clear that for the first 10 years he was doing this, he always read every book before he narrated it. So, I don't know about you, but for my part, I figure that when I've been doing this for over 10 years and I've won dozens of earphones awards and I've won several Audis, I might consider changing my process. But until then, I'm going to keep reading the books I'm narrating before I start recording. Don't forget to check out the sponsor for tonight's episode, Squeaky Cheese Productions. They're on the cutting wedge, they're on the web at squeakycheeseproductions.com, and I'm very grateful for their support of the Audiobook Speakeasy. As always, you can find the Audiobook Speakeasy on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Podbean, and all the apps that pull from Apple Podcasts. And you can find me at richvoiceproductions.com where I've got some samples and links to audiobooks I've narrated and where I'm also posting episodes of the audiobook speakeasy. If you're enjoying our speakeasy chats, please take a few minutes to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you're not enjoying them, please find a podcast you do enjoy and leave them a review. If you think this show is educational, entertaining, or valuable simply because it gives you an excuse to sit down and enjoy a cocktail in an otherwise hectic day, I'd really appreciate it if you'd add a buck or two to the tip jar. You can make a per-episode donation by signing up at patreon.com slash audiobookspeakeasy, or you can make a one-time donation by visiting paypal.me slash audiobookspeakeasy. Any financial support is greatly appreciated, as it helps me keep the lights on here in the Speakeasy. Until we see you here in the Speakeasy again, I hope you can find some time to enjoy an audiobook. Cheers!